Hello and welcome to the Edify podcast, where we believe success can be achieved by small and simple means. Today's guest is going to be Andrew Chavez, who is a Special Forces Green Beret turned entrepreneur. He's a successful businessman, and he's going to share some practical and small and simple methods that will lead to success. Stay tuned. I promise you're not going to want to miss this. Do you have a property that is in rough condition, has tenant issues, or a project that never got finished? Then you need to contact Homelink Properties. This Springfield, Missouri-based company will give you a fair cash offer on your property, completely as is the same day you reach out. If you're an investor, Homelink Properties can also put your house in front of hundreds of cash buyers so that you too can quickly sell your property. Give them a call today, 417-295-0723. Andrew, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Thank you. It's good to be with you. I'm pretty excited. Uh, it's funny because I, <laughs> I already have a relationship with you because I call you all the time like a, a girlfriend or something. Right. <laughs> it seems like for, for all my loan advice and investing advice. Um, what I'd like to do is I'd like to, for you to tell a little bit about your story. Um, so you may be starting with graduating from high school leading into today. And I know a lot of our listeners, uh, especially when we talk about it, are probably going to be excited that, to hear that you, know, you were in the military, you did special forces. And so I'd like you to highlight a little bit of that. Um, so yeah, just tell us a little bit about your journey and graduating from high school leading up to where you're at today. Yeah. So, uh, you know, kind of my journey from, you know, graduating high school to being a, uh, a loan officer and, and a small business owner today. Well, I, I graduated from a small high school, Ashgrove, Missouri. Um, I went to college, um, Missouri State for a year. Um, and I kind of wanted to, to do something a little bit different than college. So I was like, well, I'm gonna join the military. I'll finish college, uh, you know, while I'm in the military and I'll get, uh, some skills that I can use, you know, when I, when I finish that, that way I'm drawing a paycheck, but I'm also getting my college paid for. Um, so, you know, that was important for me because I didn't come from a family that could just, you know, pay for my college. So I was always looking for a way, okay, well, if I can't do it through Pell Grants, who else will help me through that? So the, the army was kind of my way of, okay, well, they're going to provide me free college. I'll get some on the job, uh, you know, skills that I can use after I finish. I never had a plan of doing 20 years in the military. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to do anything cool. I didn't want to kick doors in. I didn't want to shoot people or anything like that. I was just like, when I went to the recruiter, I was like, well, I just want to work on computers or something. And, and he goes, Oh, well, you know, do you want to be infantry? You know, they're cool. You know, they, they, they jump out of airplanes. I said, no, no, no. Um, he's like, well, you want to be an 18 x-ray? And I was like, I don't, I don't even know what that is. He's like, well, it's a special forces uh, guy. I said, no, that doesn't sound cool. Like, I just want to work on computers. Um, so I said, okay, fine. He's like, well, I don't have anything in computers. You want to be artillery? I said, no, no, don't want to be artillery. I'm going to go talk to the Air Force. And uh, so, you know, I never went and talked to the Air Force. But, you know, within a couple <laughs> hours, he calls me back and said, hey, I got a job for a computer repair technician. It's great. You're going to love it, but you got to come in and sign now, you know, using that hard pressure, you know, sales tactics that they were using because uh-huh. this was when they were really needing people. Right. So they were paying big bonuses. People really weren't signing up to go into the army. So I was like, Hey, great. You're going to hand me $18,000, you know, an 18 year old kid. And then you're going to, you're going to pay me a salary. Man, I wish I got a sign on bonus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the air force is way more selective and they, they, they always have been because they, they draw a different pool of, uh, of job seekers. Um, you know, the army, it's a little bit tougher sell. You have to, in some jobs, you stay up late and work hard and the living conditions aren't as great. So, um, so yeah, I ended up going to basic training, got out of basic training and, uh, you know, went to my first duty station, um, out in, uh, JBLM in, uh, in Washington state. 
Um, I didn't really enjoy my job. Fixing computers, doing IT security was fun. And I learned a lot. Um, you know, there's a lot of good networking principles um, from computer, you know, security to, to just basic networking that I learned during that job. Uh, but I didn't really enjoy it. You know, I, I had a different um, imagination of what the army what I thought the army was prior to joining. I thought I was like, man, everyone's these, you know, killers that are just, you know, super motivated. <laughs> then I got there and like these kids are out of shape and, you know, eat donuts and drink Dr. Pepper all day, every day. And they're just not motivated, you know, yep. and mm -hmm. there's, there's always that one person that's like, you know, pushing them to do something where me, you know, I'm going to use one of these canned phrases. Like I like think I'm a self-starter. Like if you give me a project, a mission, I'm going to go figure out a way to complete that task or complete that mission. So for me, I was very disappointed in my experience. Now, it wasn't all bad. I learned a lot of great things. I actually had probably the best leader th that I've ever had came from, you know, my time in the regular army. But you know, I was just a little bit, I would say, disgruntled. I didn't like the environment that I was working in because it was just slow. I was just fixing computers. I was, you know, fixing radios on helicopters or whatever. So... I met a first special forces group guy, um, Sam, and I was doing jujitsu at the time doing Muay Thai and he would, you know, roll with me and we would, we would spar and stuff like that. And I was like, I'm in better shape. You just guy. went, you just went up in my book just by saying you do jujitsu. <laughs> I, I need to get in. I, I did some jujitsu. I need to get into it again. You know, I love jujitsu and I don't want to go, you know, segue off too much, but jujitsu is chess it's not mm -hmm. checkers human right? chess. <laughs> so, yeah it's human chess and, you, and it's a thinking man's game and you have to be thinking two to three moves ahead of someone which you can apply to jujitsu you can apply to the business world you can apply to a lot of different you know areas of your life um so i was doing that um and you know i was working out with him and stuff and i was just like well i'm in better shape than this guy you know i'm i i think i'm just as smart as this guy like I could probably be special forces, you know, and he was telling me a little bit about what they do. Hey, you know, we go to foreign lands, you know, we, we jump out of airplanes, you know, we, you know, we do a lot of cool stuff. Right. So I said, wow, that's awesome. Okay. Where do I sign up? And he directs <laughs> me to a special forces recruiter and I go over there and, you know, they say, okay, yep. Sign here. We'll get you on the next bus or the next flight to uh, selection. So ended up going through selection. Um, it, you know, it was a lot tougher than I expected because coming from a computer repair guy, I wasn't the infantryman there, you know, uh -huh. this 80 second, you know, airborne division paratrooper going through, um, special forces selection. Like I, I was in good shape. Don't get me wrong. I could put a ruck on, but I didn't know how to pack a ruck correctly. I didn't know, you know, I, I mean, I knew enough to get by. Um, I was very low ranking. I was a, you know, a specialist, which is an E4 um, in, in the army. Um, and, you know, I, I guess I stumbled my way through it. I got selected um, and I went into the Q course. The Q course is the, the special forces qualification course, which they say is kind of actually the assessment because when I went through, it was just a year and a half of just not fun activities. So <laughs> that is kind of where they selected. Yeah. They just beat you up for a year and a half, two years. Uh -huh. I mean, you know, they, it was just a lot of physical fitness. Um, and if guys couldn't cut it, well, you got kicked out. So that was kind of that, that, um, the hard part. They, they always say, Hey, selection. It was, I think four weeks long. That's the easiest part. Uh, once you get to the qualification course, then you have like the experience, um, special forces instructors that just, you know, they're going to beat you up for a year and a half. So, I got through that. I think for my original selection class, there was close to 400 guys that went through. 
and wow. the original selection class. At the time, two years later, I was one of three guys that made it from that selection class all the way through. Now, wow. that's, not, that's not to say that there was only three of us that graduated because guys get washed back. They get rolled back. So right, right. You know, there, there was probably about 30 some guys from that selection class, but there was only three of us from that selection class that made it all the way through without washing without out, without washing out, getting rolled, rolled back or anything into, into, you know, previous training classes. Um, so, you know, I graduate, I'm, uh, you know, I'm pumped. I'm a green beret, never deployed, you know, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm God's gift to, to, to earth, you know, I'm, I'm a warrior. I haven't done anything at this point, right? So you're feeling like a stud, right? This yeah. Point. Oh, I was, a, I thought I was a stud. So, um, I, I ended up uh, from there going and joining the Seventh Special Forces Group, which is out of um, Eglin Air Force Base, Florida. Um, yeah, we had responsibilities in South America, Central America, and then Afghanistan. Um, so it was a good mix of mission. I wanted to go there um, because I wanted to speak Spanish and I wanted to go to Afghanistan. So they were one of the groups that were heavily deployed to Afghanistan. Uh, seventh mm. Group has... Um, lost the most soldiers in the war on terror of any special forces group. So um, you, you ended been, up going to Afghanistan? Yeah, I did uh, two combat rotations uh, to Afghanistan during my time in seventh group. What, um, uh, what years were you over there? So I was there in uh, April of uh, 2014. Okay. I was there from April 2014 to October 2014 um, during uh, Operation Enduring Freedom, mm -hmm. OEF. Yep. It was one of the last uh, OEF operations, um, but I was glad that I got to experience that Yeah. because after that, the mission changed to resolute support mission. Um, and the, it was more of an advising and a, more of an advisor role gotcha. that the United States took okay. during that time. Yeah. So, I was actually, uh, I was actually in Afghanistan. Uh, well, actually before you, uh, 2011 to 2012 on an OEF okay. mission and we were okay. a QRF, uh, for the listeners, you know, quick response force. Right. So oh, we yeah. were responding to, you know, the IEDs or if we got, uh, you know, we got mortared in the middle of the night, we were gearing up, going out, find out where it was. And so we just, it was right. mainly a presence patrol is what we were doing, whether it was foot or vehicle patrols, but, uh, yeah, so I was over there in 2000, yeah, 2011, 2012. So. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Um, and so I got to do the RSM thing, um, did a, a trip to South America, worked in Colombia a little bit. Um, it was pretty cool. You, you know, I had a great time in, in the special forces and, and it taught me a, a whole lot. So you, I sorry, I, I think I misunderstood. So you went in uh, originally as basically some uh, computer comms yep. communication kind of guy. Yep. I was, and, I was geek squad for the army. Okay. And then in. you switched to a green beret. Correct. And then did you get into combat controller too? Yes. So oh, okay. I was also, Sorry, I'm, I get, I'm jumping ahead. No, 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 then. Okay. So, you know, kind of in that time, I, I got the opportunity to acquire a lot of, you know, skills that the army said, Hey, you're on this team, you need to have these skills. So I got the, the opportunity to be a, a joint tactical um, air controller. So that's pretty much someone that they direct planes in combat. So um, the air force uh, have, have combat controllers. Um, and that's their main job it is, or one of their main jobs, uh, or was at the time is they would attach a combat controller to a team and they would, uh, you know, they would control the, all the aircraft, they would integrate fires. Um, so I got the opportunity to do that. I went through, um, the special operations, uh, terminal attack control course. Um, I held, I held a JTAC rating for several years. Um, and I was actually able to, uh, do calls in Afghanistan. I was able to perform my, my JTAC mission in Afghanistan, which was pretty cool. Um, because, you know, 
Jake, I know you said you call me all day, every day. Well, there's no really difference between you're on the battlefield, you're answering radio calls left <laughs> and right, or you have Jake calling you, you know, three or four times about mortgages. Um, it, it's just something that, you know, some people might not answer the phone because they get overwhelmed or something. But, you know, for me, coming from, you know, a battlefield, you know, job where it's like, hey, when the aircraft- a Higher pressure. Them, <laughs> yeah, higher pressure. You, you have to call them, you have to have an answer for them, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, as you're moving through kind of your mental checklist, well, when Jake calls me, I need to know where his, the status of his loan is or, or, you know, say Bob Smith or Janet Smith, they call me. So it's the same thing, right? I learned some skills there that, okay, you know, I can handle the, you know, the 50 to hundred phone calls that uh-huh. I do a day because, yeah, hey, I, I, was, I talked on the radio. All day. I was the RTO. I was the radio guy when we were over in Afghanistan okay. too. Like uh, I hated it, but, <laughs> but I, I was the comp, one of the comps guys. <laughs> yeah. So um, I did, I acquired that skill. The army also made me a uh, free fall jump master, which pretty much means, um, you know, I could plan a jump and, and I was in charge of um, like high altitude, uh, high opening or high altitude, low opening jumps. Um, so that was pretty cool. I got to do a couple hundred jumps when I was in the military. Um, just good experience. My knees don't like it now, but, um, <laughs> it, it was, it was definitely something there's, there's not a whole lot of other feelings and, you know, standing at the back of a, you know, a C-130 airplane at 20,000 feet or, you know, or 15, even 15,000 feet. But, you know, some of those higher jumps where you're on oxygen, you have a, you know, a hundred pound rucksack between your legs and it's night and you're looking through these little green, you know, night, you know, vision goggles, like, okay, well, I'm jumping out into the world from, you know, 20,000 feet. So it teaches you, um, a lot. I mean, I bet I, that's I quite the adrenaline rush. It is. Um, after a while though, what I kind of found is the adrenaline kind of wears off, right? Mm. My first jump, I barely remember it right when I was in the training school. Cause it was just like, it happened so fast. So I was just like, that was awesome. But then <laughs> after that, it kind of slows down for you. And I think mm. that that kind of happens in any industry that that first couple of times you start, you know, repeating the same thing over and over. It happens really fast at first. And then as you kind of gain more experience, it kind of slows down. Well, the same thing happens when you're jumping out of an airplane. Um, and, and, you know, I didn't, 200 jumps might sound like a lot to some people, but I had guys on the team that, you know, 3000 plus jumps, or we worked with instructors that had 10, 12,000 plus jumps. Wow. Those guys know what they're doing. Uh-huh. Um, I w- I just knew enough that I could be dangerous at the time. <laughs> so like I said, had a lot of great opportunities that were given to me, um, by special forces. I, I learned a whole lot. Um, and a lot of the, the business principles that I've used to, to grow my business, I learned from the military, you know, there's, there's good things that come with structure and, uh, training plans and not just, you know, you know, you know, throwing someone to the wolves right away. You got to have that kind of, you know, that crawl, walk, run phase that we Mm -hmm. apply in the military. Now I'm not having to teach, you know, privates or anything like that. And we never really had to teach like that in the special forces, but instruction was kind of a big thing that we did. So it's, you know, anytime you're training new employees, it's important because they need to be at a point to where they're empowered to make decisions and without the knowledge on how to, you know, finish a job or, you know, sell a contract, they are going to always just going to be calling you. And that's not efficient for you as a business owner. So kind of, you know, applying some of those same principles and techniques that I learned in the military is, you know, kind of, I think made our business successful. It seems like anybody that has been in the military, especially special forces, for whatever reason, you guys are a totally different breed of animal. Um, it seems like you guys are able to transfer over to business skills or entrepreneurship uh, very well because of the th- because of your time in the military. 
Yeah, so, you know, speaking from a special forces perspective, and this is all open source stuff, I'm not giving away any national secrets or anything, but um, special forces, we uh, conduct unconventional warfare, right? Well, for those of you listening, you're like, well, what's unconventional warfare? Well, unconventional warfare is going in and linking up with other foreign parties or, uh, you know, other entities and, and turning them into a pretty much a force multiplier, right? You're, you're, you're taking a small team of, you know, 12 special forces guys and you're training and you're getting a partner force that might be a battalion in size, you know, a couple thousand guys, or, you know, it could be a couple hundred guys, you know, to a place to where they can operate efficiently on their own. That's how, you know, you actually did a good job as Green Berets. If you can go in some place, you can put the processes in place. You can get them the, the coaching, the mentoring, the, the training that they need to, when you leave, everything doesn't fall apart, right? You have leadership in place. And so, you know, I think what makes from a special forces side guys successful is a big part of that is networking mm. and, and installing processes in a certain place. So, you know, in the business world, especially a small business, you need clients. If you don't have clients, I don't care how good your process is, you, you're not going to pay the bills, right? So if you can get the clients and you can show them that you have a good process, you're going to have repeat customers, right? And they're going to tell people, you know, about you. So, you know, installing the processes, something that we did in the military all the time, we go in, do an assessment. Okay. What do we need to fix? All right. We're going to put these processes in. Okay. And then, and then from there, you just, you know, you kind of refine those processes until you can walk away from something. So wow, that's a, that's an efficient machine that we created. So those things that I learned from special forces have been amazing to bring over to the business world. And I have a lot of buddies that were SF guys that have been very successful in the business world because they take that network and they take those processes and they apply them to the business world. And I promise you. Mm -hmm. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and let's clarify the SF is not security forces because I know because I did security (laughs) forces. And anytime, uh, you know, when you're single and, you know, they're like, oh, you're SF. You're like, yeah, I'm SF. But security (laughs) forces, not special forces. So just just to clarify. (laughs) Right. And you guys actually have the bigger tab on your. your Yeah. Yeah. So really, it really stands out. (laughs) Yeah. You guys let people know. And and Uh, we'll wear the berets. So, you know, we we thought we were pretty cool. All right. <laughs> uh, which, you know, I, I worked with some great security forces guys. You guys have some of your Raven teams and stuff like that, that, you know, we, we did some cool stuff with. Um, so, you know, not taking away from, you know, the other SF, but it is a little bit different mission set. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, you know, whether it's Air Force, Army, Navy, Marines, I've met a lot of military business owners that have taken, you know, principles that they learned in the military and applied them to the business world and been very successful. That's not saying that, you know, every military guy can get out and start a business and be successful because there's a lot of other, you know, things that make successful soldiers, you know, the same as successful business owners. So, you know, one thing that, you know, I think one of the questions that you had sent me over was like, Hey, what is, you know, one of the things, simple things that you've done that's, you know, led you through success. And, and my thing is outward people, you know, I am a big believer in hard work. Um, you don't have to be the, the smartest guy in the room. You don't have to be the best looking guy in the room or the best looking girl or the smartest girl in the room. Hard work will put you far ahead. Um, I, you know, I was never the strongest guy on my team. I'm 5'10", 190 pounds, you know. Yeah, I could maybe bench 275 and squat, you know, maybe 315 on a good day. Mm-hmm. I didn't look like an SF guy, 
right? And most people, when they see me, like, well, oh, you're SF cool. Yeah, you're security for, I mean, uh, you, you, were, you weren't that special. <laughs> so, easy, uh, easy, easy. <laughs> so, no, but, but what I always try to do is outwork people. And, you know, the other guys on my team, I'm telling you, they're 6'3", 275, you know, squatting 500 pounds and, you know, they can move mountains. And you're like, that's a man right there. That right. guy, <laughs> that is what I think. Kind of like Jocko, community. you know, I'm yeah, sure you right. know Jocko. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so my thing is just outwork people, whether that's in the military or whether you're a small business owner, or whether you are, you know, a server or a bartender, you know, you're going to find success when you kind of create it for yourself. And that first step, and one of the biggest principles that I believe in is hard work. Mm -hmm. um, I will take a hard worker over, you know, a 20 pound brain that only wants to work like a 10 to four job and just punch in and punch out. Yeah. So yeah. that, that is kind of one of my, you know, things that, I've always tried to apply, whether military, small business, like, you know, and, and Elon Musk, whether you're a fan of him or not, his, his big thing is like, you're not going to really accomplish anything but mediocrity. I don't, can't remember how he phrased it exactly, but if you're working a nine to five, mm -hmm. right. And I'm not saying that you should just not go on vacations and not hang out with your family, but if you have a goal, you got to outwork people because there's I, always someone that will outwork you. I, uh, I, whether you're a fan of Grant Cardone or not, and I have differing <laughs> opinions about him, like uh, sometimes know. I like him and sometimes I'm not a big fan, but yeah. one phrase he says that I love so much, and I actually write it down almost every day is be obsessed or be average. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause I personally think, and I've said this on earlier podcasts of mine is I think you're going to make two choices in this life two two sacrifices, you either going to sacrifice time and effort, or you're going to sacrifice your dreams. And it's like, mm -hmm. it's up to you, which one that's going to be. And, uh, you know, we're human, right? So sometimes right. that ebbs and flows where you're at on that. But uh, yeah, I agree. Hard work is important. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest principles that I try to strive with my team members or, and, and, you know, even with myself and then doing the small things correctly. Right. I, I grew up playing sports, you know, sports has a big influence on kind of how I, you know, carry myself in my personal life and my business life. Cause I'm very competitive, right. Mm. I want to win. And in, in business, I think, if you're competitive and you want to win, that's going to, that's, that's another great thing that you can kind of bring with, with yourself, you know, hard work and being competitive. Um, so, you know, take just doing the small things correctly. So I tell my team all the time, Hey, call people, pick up the phone when they call, you know, it, it's a, it's, it's something small, but you wouldn't imagine how many mortgage industry professionals don't pick up the phone. The same I thing in pest control. It's crazy. Same thing with pest control. You're losing out on clients that need you, you know, when you don't answer the phone. And that's one of my biggest things. I, you know, I tell all of our team members, Hey, if someone calls you, you answer the phone, you call them back. If they need an update, call them back. Um, so, you know, that doing the small thing, that's one of the small things that we can do, because like I said, sometimes it's hard for us to get a hold of other mortgage industry professionals when we get, need to get something done. It's like, I know you're at your desk. I know you're probably doing something. Okay. You're busy. That's fine. Call me back send me an email back, you know, just have that communication. Right. Um, so, you know, that kind of ties into doing the small things. Great. And if you can do the small things, great, then, you know, the bigger picture usually, usually comes together. And if not, mm -hmm. that's where you get into your problem. Yeah. solving. I'm glad you said that. Cause uh, the theme of this podcast is I'm a firm believer that the path to success is achieved by small and simple means. It's always yep. consistently doing the small and simple things that leads to success. So right. I would like to highlight a little bit on this principle uh, in just a moment, but first I'd like to transition into how you got from special forces to 
where you are today because you're kind of a jack of all trades. I think you're doing a little bit of insurance. You're doing yeah. you're a re- you're an investor in real yeah. estate. Uh, you're uh, a broker uh, with loans. So t- tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So my biggest thing is I look for opportunity. Um, I knew kind of referencing back to what I, I mentioned in, in a few minutes ago was I knew that I didn't want to do 20 years in the military. The military, they give a great retirement. You know, there's a lot of benefits of doing 20 years, but I didn't want to commit 20 years of my life to that, right? I wanted to gain the skills I needed and then move on. So um, it was about 2012, 2013 um, that, you know, I, my father and I got together and said, hey, you know, let's put together a plan for something that I can do when I get out of the military, right? Because I want to be my own boss and I want to kind of set my own success. So um, we started a small uh, tax preparation firm, right? And that kind of grew into accounting payroll. I didn't realize that. So you and your, your dad started that. mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, you know, it grew from this small, you know, 200 square foot office of, you know, tax preparation of, you know, I think, uh, I mean, it, it, it grew very slowly at first. Um, and then people caught on, hey, these guys over there, they, they know what they're talking about and they don't charge us, at, you know, an arm and a leg. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to give them a chance. And that kind of word of mouth spread. Um, Little plug. I use, I use you guys for everything, accounting, <laughs> everything. It seems like so. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and we, we try to just apply the same principles across like good customer service. And, and just, if you protect the client, if you look out what's best for the client, even though you might not be able to generate revenue in a certain area, you're going to win a, a client for life. Right. Mm-hmm. And that goes a long ways. And, and, and we're very relationship based. I'm sure you can walk in the office. You can go talk to Steven at any time about your profit and loss. Now I'm not saying and I'm sure you ask any account they'll be like, oh yeah, we do the same thing. Well, yes, you probably do. But can you really get that access? Can you get them to, hey, answer There's the a reason why I switched to you guys. I can tell you <laughs> right. that right now. <laughs> right. And, and not bad-mouthing anyone else because there's a lot of great accountants. There's a lot of great, you know, industry professionals. But we just try to set ourselves apart from that. Mm-hmm. And just go above and beyond on our service. So, you know, we got, we started out of that and then we saw an opportunity like, Hey, we can really save some people, some money on insurance stuff. One, because they don't know what they're doing or the agent that's writing them really doesn't understand commercial. Right. Because coming from the accounting side, we had a lot of commercial clients, right? Mm. There are very few people in Springfield and just in the industry overall that know how to write commercial insurance. It's difficult for the average agent that, you know, just says, Hey, I want to be an insurance guy. They, you know, okay, I, I'll write your Honda Accord and, and your, and your home, right? That's easy, right? You, you, anyone can learn to do that, but to write commercial, you got to understand some business principles. You got to understand like payroll numbers, you know, you know, 941s, 940, you're, you're, and, and you got to understand uh, different risks and how they're classed from an uh, insurance perspective. And you have to understand insurance principles to do that, which unfortunately, even though you pass a insurance exam, you don't learn anything. I, I can tell you this. Yeah, I know. I, I passed, I passed exam, one. <laughs> yeah. When I passed my exam, I didn't know anything. Uh-huh. Right? And it's easy to, to stay in that same level of knowledge. If all you do is you write that Honda Accord for your sister and, mm-hmm. you know, her house. But we wanted to learn commercial. We wanted to be good at commercial because there, that is something that not a lot of people do. And there's a lot of opportunity because people are overpaying on commercial insurance. Not everyone, but if you shop, 
and you should shop, whether it's insurance, whether it's mortgages, whether it's, you know, you're buying a car shop shop the services. Uh, you know, I would love for you to just be like, Hey, Andrew, you're my guy all day, every day, but guess what? That's not in your best interest and, and, and you should shop. So, you know, we, we kind of set up this insurance, uh, you know, broker shop. We're like, Hey, we have all these carriers that specialize in commercial and we're going to shop for our customers and we're going to present them with the best coverages. Cause a lot of the small business owners didn't even know what they're paying or didn't know what coverages they were getting. Mm-hmm. And the insurance agent that was, you know, selling them this stuff, didn't know either. He was just like, that's $10,000 premium. Cool. I'm getting paid. Well, what coverages are, are, are going to the client, you know? So we, we recognize that opportunity and we, you know, we added that on as a service and that did great. That, that, that did really, really well. Um, and then, you know, we recently, you know, said, okay, well, what's another thing that, that is, is lacking in this area? Well, the mortgage industry, right? So we, we realized an opportunity, um, you know, I got licensed, um, uh, Evan Doc Center got licensed as well. And, and we kind of added that on, we were, we were learning at the time and, you know, there were some growing pains at first, but once we hit stride, we were able to apply a lot of the same principles that we learned from, you know, being a tax preparer to being a mortgage loan officer, because there's a lot of people that don't understand taxes. Well, mm-hmm. for all the self-employed people out there, guess what a loan officer should know taxes, right? Because you might have your schedule C, you might be being 1120S, you might be a, a weirdo with an 1120, right? How do you calculate income? How do you qualify someone? Oh, well, we have Bob, that one guy, he does all of our self-employed, but why not you, right? So it was a good fit to where we already understood the self-employed and there was, we had a lot of self-employed customers that were like, hey, I can't get approved over here. It's like, well, you just have to back the depreciation out and you know, back out half your mileage and boom, you got income now. So we, we were able to take a lot of the, you know, skills that we had in the other, you know, financial industries and kind of apply them to the mortgage side. And uh, that's kind of how we arrived at, you know, doing mortgages. Um, but it's been great so far. And I think uh, we've built a lot of good relationships on it because of the service that we provide. And, you know, in any business, your business, my business, Amazon, everyone makes mistakes, right? It, it, it's part of it. I, I could ask you right now, hey, Jake, when's the last time you made a mistake? in the business. You're probably gonna be like yesterday. I'll be the yeah, same way all the hey, time. <laughs> all the time. I, and there's usually a client on the receiving end of that mistake. So, you know, one of the things that we try to do is, hey, if we make a mistake, we try to make it right. Whatever that means. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a big thing. Yeah. Hey, there's a lot of emotion involved with money all the time, right? And people get stressed out and they they get real emotional because especially in the mortgage industry, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. It's really a no mistake business. But you and I both know mistakes happen in any business, right? There's no such thing as a mistake-free business. Um, it, sh- it just doesn't happen. So one thing you can do to kind of provide better customer service is just make the mistake right. You know, if it's something that we messed up, hey, we're going to make it right. So, you know, we've, we've kind of brought that in and that's kind of, that's kind of grown that side really well. We, we started doing some things that, you know, other places do, um, as well, but we, we think that we do it pretty well. We have an in-house credit repair guy now. Um, it doesn't cost the client anything. So for people that can't credit qualify, as long as they have buy-in, we will take them from, you know, 570, 580, 4, you know, 60 up to that 640, that 660 they need, if they want. Because a lot of people just aren't educated on things. Right. And it, it, it's amazing when you get someone with a professional, you know, a credit repair guy, a mortgage guy that can take them from where they're at and get them to where they need to be to buy a home or, you know, even just buy a car, you know, 
the, the amount of money that you will save yourself between having a 640 credit score and a 760 credit score is amazing over your mm -hmm. lifetime. Depending on your purchases, your investments, it could be millions of dollars, right? And, and you just open yourself up to more opportunity because you increase your lending power. Um, you know, there's some guys out there, uh, you know, that say, hey, live the debt-free life, right? That's great. Yeah, if you don't know how to control, if you if you want to pay cash for everything, that's great. But if you are, you know, kind of have that entrepreneurial spirit, you want to do more, you need you need loans. You really do. Mm -hmm. You need to leverage debt to create income, yep. right? And one of the best things you can do is take care of your credit score. And so, that, you know, go ahead. I think you and I had this conversation before, and I'm not going to mention names, but we all know who really preaches pay with cash. And right. I think that's a phenomenal principle, especially for the average American that is uh, in massive credit card debt, mm -hmm. uh, car loans, and you know, playing keeping up with the Joneses or or whatever. Uh, but you're right; if you're an entrepreneur, it is so important to leverage a bank's money or a mm -hmm. private lender or whatever's money to get a higher ROI, uh, because it just doesn't make sense. I, I mean, you, you know, as an investor, I I know as having a few rental properties is that uh, if I were to pay for cash, my ROI would drastically go down instead of leveraging, you know, uh, the bank's money and having a, a tenant pay the mortgage right. and put cash flow in my pocket. Absolutely. So, you know, we try to provide some of those, that education to borrowers as well. Like, you know, anyone that comes and sits down with me, I try to, you know, I'll, I'll review their income with them. I'll tell them, okay, you know, hey, what are your goals? Because if your goal is to buy more properties or, you know, in two years, three years, five years, well, then I'm going to shape our conversation a certain way. I, it's mm -hmm. not just, hey, here's a loan, get out my door, I want to get paid, right? I, I try to turn it into a little bit of consulting as well. That way they don't feel like, you know, they're just another, you know, client, uh, you know, mm -hmm. I want them to learn something out of the process. Oh yeah. And, and you, that's something, uh, not to toot your own horn or anything, but that's something you've done really well is add value. Cause even my conversations with you, I've learned a ton, uh, just cause you know, a different aspect than I know. And it's, it's, it's awesome. So I think you, what you guys are doing is great. That's awesome. And I appreciate that. And, and we try to provide that expertise. So like for yourself, you're an investor. And if you, if you know how someone's going to look at you from a lending perspective, that can shape what you need to do from your financial perspective, right? So you come to me like, hey, I wanna have 50 rental properties in 10 years. Okay, how do I get there? Okay, well, here's what a lender is gonna look at. And then you can kind of shape your, how you're making your investments to meet that goal, right? If, if I don't know your goal, I can't you know, consult you on it. And so I always have that you know, conversation with clients. Mm -hmm. Hey, what's your goal? What do you, what do you want? Tell me. And I'll, I'll find a way for you, whether I need to go find a new product, whether what, whatever the case might be, let me know if there's an opportunity, I will get you there. So that's one of the things that, you know, we, we try to focus on here, you know, with our team is help the client, consult them, give them value. Right. And it doesn't need to be, you know, Jake that wants, you know, 500 rental homes in, in five years, it could be, you know, you know, an older lady that, Hey, I have one rental and, you know, I want to sell this one and move over here. What does that look like financially for me? You know, does it fit my retirement plans? You know, I'm drawing social security in 10 years. How can I make this payment work? So, you know, we try to cover a broad range of needs for clients. And, and if you take care of, and it goes back to, if you take care of the client, you're going to get a client for life and they're going to send you more business. You it it always seems like wherever there. you add value or impact, money always seems to follow. Right. 
is because you're providing a good product. And then that's my biggest thing is just provide a good product. So that's a little bit how we kind of started and where we're at today. <laughs> okay, cool. There's so much we can unpack in there. We might have to invite you back on the podcast. There's just so <laughs> yeah. much in there. And I just love talking to you. Let's, uh, let's backtrack a little bit. Uh, Cause I, I said, I wanted to highlight on some small and simple things. Maybe before I do that, well, actually let's do that. And then we'll, uh, I'll ask another question. What are some like uh, small and simple things that you were doing on a, on a daily basis that you feel has led to the success you guys have had so far? And, and maybe you highlight a little bit of your investing too, because we haven't even talked about that. Right. So, I mean, I kind of touched on the small, simple things I do, but you know, outwork people, just hard work. I can't say it enough is just if, if you're up before your competition and if you're there later than them, doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to do more than them. So, you know, hard work isn't just putting in the hours, but it's staying on task, right? Because mm -hmm. I can punch in at 4 a.m. and punch out at midnight. But if I accomplish nothing, if I watch YouTube all day or, you know, if I'm on Facebook all day, I'm not accomplishing everything. So I'm big thing on, you know, stay on task. OK, we, we have, you know, we have morning meetings, which just real quick, just, hey, what do we got today? All right. And that way everyone's on task and we're, we're moving through those tasks. So we're actually accomplishing something. Um, but hard work ties into that because mm -hmm. to stay on task, you gotta, you, you gotta, you gotta be hardworking and you have to move through and complete those processes. So um, that, that's kind of like the simple things, hard work, stay on task that kind of, kind of go together. So that's kind of the, some, some of the simple, small things um, that I apply and I try to have my other team members apply in their daily life. That's awesome. I, I have a great mentor that always talked about laser focus. And it seems like, uh, especially special forces guys seem to have that laser like focus, but then there's also a lot of really good business owners that have that. So I think that's, that's perfect is prioritizing uh, what's important for you to accomplish that day that will lead to your goals and having that laser like focus and, and work ethic on it. So awesome. Um, okay. So now let's talk a little bit about Tell me a little bit about your investing, what kind of investing you've done. And then uh, I'll, I'll ask you another question here. Yeah. So um, I do a little bit of everything and it, it doesn't really matter what the investment is. If I see an opportunity, I'm a numbers guy, right? Uh, we've talked a lot about, Hey, what's this property? What's this property? What, you know, how can, how can I generate the most ROI? So I don't care if that's, you know, flipping houses or that's, you know, long-term rentals. I, I try to break, do an analysis of the numbers. Okay, what is my return? What's my annualized return? And then what's my risk, right? Because a long-term rental is probably a lot less risky than me going into a flip, mm -hmm. depending on it. I don't like to get into investments. I play poker the same way, right? Is I'm a very conservative investor, right? And you can be conservative if you know your numbers and how to calculate your ROI. So whether that's flipping, I try to find deals where I can buy the home side unseen. I know that it's going to sell, even if I have to knock the whole thing down and rebuild it. And I'm still going to either break even or make a little bit of money. So in this market, you're like, yeah, well, I, I do that all day, every day, if I could find properties like that. Well, the tough part is finding properties, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so, you know, it, you can't just always say, oh yeah, well, I'm only going to find a deal where I don't have any risk. Cause even if I have to knock it down, so I just wait, sometimes it comes in floods. Sometimes, you know, it, it's one property, you know, a year or something like that, but I'm opportunity driven. So, you know, whether that's, you know, having a long-term rental flipping or whatever the investment might be, it is, it's always opportunity driven and okay, what's my ROI? What's my risk, right? So that's, that's just a little bit of kind of how I base my investing decisions. I'm not, 
I would never say no to an idea um, without doing a complete analysis on it and saying, okay, well, this is a little different than what everyone else is doing, but there's potential and there's a plan and there's an exit strategy. So that's just that's a curiosity. What's your minimum criteria for uh, like uh, maybe your cash on cash return or, or, or whatever ROI you're, you're using? So it depends on the risk, right? Um, you know, if I am buying a property that, you know, just speaking on the real estate side, because I think a lot of people can relate to that. If I'm buying a property that I know doesn't need very much, you know, uh, remodel, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have a lot of rehab costs, then I'll take a lower return, right? Because I know that there's less work. Mm. If I have yeah. a lot of work in something and, you know, it's, it might be money might be out 45, 60 days. I want a higher return. There's more risk to it. You know, if I said, well, that might be full of mold. So I need a higher return because I might need to bring in someone to remediate all that mold. So I can't really tell you what I got to make 10% every time, Jake, that, because that, that wouldn't, that would limit me in my investment choices. Mm -hmm. So I always try to assess the risk of the investment I'm getting in versus the return on it. So, you know, it can be a, a broad range because super risky things I want a high return on. But okay. I try to stay away from super risky. So I mean, that might change my mindset a little bit because I'm always a minimum 10% return. That's like yeah. always my minimum. <laughs> right. But if you can get a 5% return, you know, annualized in two weeks, why would you not take that? If it's That's secure, true. Right. That's you know, because if you're always looking for that big score, you're going to limit the the income you can generate mm -hmm. over the year. Yeah. I like to, I like to think long-term, you know, okay, five years, 10 years. It doesn't make sense for me to get into something where I can lose everything, right? If I can just slowly build, you know, through investments, then then I can kind of accomplish that goal in a conservative way without losing my money. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, I like that. Um, now I'm gonna switch gears again on you. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you've had a lot of life experience, and you're, uh, I think you're around the same age as me. I think you're you're young, relatively yeah. young, uh, and so. Uh, with all the experiences you've had, what has been one of the toughest things that you've gone through and how did you overcome it if you're willing to share? Yeah, so I mean, usually when guys think military, you know, they think, okay, you know, tough things, you know, being on the battlefield, you know, losing friends, stuff like that. You know, those are tough experiences and, and, and they really are. And, and there's a lot of, you know, friends that I've had that have, you know, went through some really, you know, terrible experiences through that and they were, you know, they were valorous. I don't want to really focus on that today. You know, I want to focus on maybe something that someone else can apply in their life, right? And one of the most difficult things that I experienced in the military was just how to overcome difficult leaders, right? Mm. I had some great leaders in the military, right? They, they, they taught me a whole lot of things. Then I also had some leaders that I didn't share their mission view or how we were going to accomplish that mission. Um, in, in my time in special forces, a big thing is planning, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of what differentiates us from Navy SEALs is we plan. We have this very intense planning because when you're going into a place with 12 guys that you could be going against 2000 guys, you have to plan really well, or you could put yourself in a bad spot to where you lose your life, right? And, and so planning is very important. And so most of my conflict with these difficult leaders were in planning, right? Because obviously I always had the best idea, right? So, <laughs> so, so you know, or, or someone else had a better idea and, and it's not say that like, oh, well, they didn't choose my idea, you know, so I didn't get along, but there's some leaders that didn't coach, didn't mentor that, you know, didn't show someone, but expected 
right? So my big thing with my team members is, hey, if I didn't show you how to do something, if you don't know how to do something, you don't have to apologize for that. You, you know, someone should teach you things, right? And that overall responsibility falls back on the leader. Well, okay, I'm the leader in some things and you have managers that are the leaders in other things. So, you know, overcoming those difficult leaders and learning to work with them, not against them to accomplish the mission, even though I didn't maybe support the way that we were doing it, or I didn't like how they were as a human being. Because mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, in the military, you know, some guys are just, they're rude and they, mm -hmm. they don't know how to interact, socialize, right? And especially you put someone with that outranks you, the military is big on rank and structure mm -hmm. that can make your life miserable if you are underneath that rank, right? Mm -hmm. Even though you, you might have more common sense than them, you might have to be smarter than them. You still have to do what they say because at the end of the day, they can be like, nope, I outrank you, you have to do it. So that was one of my biggest challenges was overcoming leaders that I didn't, I didn't see eye to eye with, right? And still being able to work with them to overcome the mission. And I'll just tell you, you know, just because you don't get along with your boss, he may be a great guy, he may be a terrible guy, that shouldn't take away from accomplishing your mission, right? So for people that aren't small business owners, or maybe you have a business partner that you don't always see eye to eye, find a way to where you can leverage their abilities and leverage your abilities to accomplish the mission. So, um, you know, that's, that's kind of one of the things that was probably my biggest, one of my biggest struggles is learning how to overcome those kind of interpersonal relationships with difficult leaders. So when I'm, when I was the leader, it's easy because, you know, I <laughs> try not to be, <laughs> well, not necessarily. And I try to, I try not to be like, well, I'm, I'm in charge. You have mm -hmm. to do this. Yeah. I want people to be empowered. Like mm -hmm. it goes back to what I was saying. I want people to be empowered. I want people to be able to make a decision on their own. Yeah. And so, you know, that, that's kind of, that's kind of how I apply that in, in the business world. Anybody listening to this, it's, it's like, no wonder this kid is doing good in, uh, in his endeavors. I mean, just the experiences that you've had have helped shape you into the businessman you are. So I think it's awesome hearing some of this that I didn't know before. So this <laughs> I is appreciate awesome. that, Jake. <laughs> Um, if you were to, I know we've talked about your, you, you, you kind of narrow things down to two principles that you would say work ethic and kind of, I, I'm using a different term, laser, laser like focus. Um, mm. But if you could uh, give somebody advice that wanted to get started in um, being an entrepreneur or a business owner, what would be some practical advice you'd give them? Find a good coach or mentor, you know, find someone that can help you um, that is not just looking to take from you, right? So whether that be a good accountant, whether that be a, a family friend, find someone that, you know, knows maybe not everything, but enough to get you started, right? Mm -hmm. Find someone that has done it before and can give you some feedback. You might have better ideas than that person, but they're going to give you, you know, real world feedback because it's easy to dream, but it's hard to do. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, a lot of these find people that have done it before, right. That maybe are more experienced than you. doesn't mean they did it correctly. Maybe they went out of business or something, you know, but they probably can give you a good way to get started, but don't limit yourself to one person, right. Don't always put all your trust into one person, find multiple people. I'm always looking for people that have done it differently or done it better. Like a lot of you know, my reading and, 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 you know, researching is I, I just try to go to the ends of Google and find people that have done things differently than what I'm doing and how it affected their business and how it grew their business. Right. 
you know, here in the Midwest, I will, would say we're maybe a little bit behind times on certain business strategies like digital marketing. Mm-hmm. You guys are doing a great job of that. I saw, I saw your guys' ads pop up on digital marketing. Um, you know, there's not every small business is doing that. And for the cost of doing it, it's really not that costly. And you're generating more exposure. Maybe you're not generating sales right away, but guess what? When you go to a house or you're driving around and someone's like, oh, I saw their ad on Facebook. They must be a big company. They must really know what they're doing. And it gives you kind of a reputation. And then mm-hmm. people are like, oh, 417 Pest Solutions. I need to call them. Because I, I saw, you know, or I punched in Google, like, you know, you know, insect problems. And 417 Pest Solution was, you know, because they paid for a spot on Google. People might not realize they're viewing that stuff, but they are. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my, one of my biggest, you know, I guess, pieces of advice I can give people is find someone that can, you know, coach you and mentor you and show you kind of other ideas. doesn't mean you need to jump on every single idea. I'm full of great ideas, but I can't take them all. You shouldn't, you shouldn't jump on all of them because you need to be able to assess an idea and then be able to implement that or complete that. So that'd be my biggest things. Find someone that can help you that has done it before. If you're doing something you've never done before. Yeah. And I I like what you said, because sometimes I think uh, when you talk about having a mentor, we always think of a physical person that could Mm -hmm. be a podcast. That could be an audio book. It could be reading books. I know me personally, I have a ton of mentors. Matter of fact, whether you know it or not, you're one of my mentors, Uh, your brother. uh, He's my accountant. He's one of my mentors. I've got tons of mentors and and tons of books uh, back here on my shelf that, you know, are my mentors. So I, I think that's fantastic advice. If you could go back to the high school age, you, uh, what, what would be some advice you'd give yourself or what would you do differently? You know, man, going back to my high school self, I, I would say get into finance earlier on, <laughs> you know, um, I, you know, there's, there's a lot of opportunity. I have no complaints to where, about where I am today. I know that all those past experiences kind of shaped the person who I am today, whether it's personally or in, in business. So I'm thankful for that. Um, but I wish I would have got started a little bit earlier. Um, so, you know, I am young, but it, I would have liked to have a little bit more industry experience at this mm-hmm. point. So that, that's really the only thing, you know, I can't complain about any of the experience that I, you know, I got to serve along some great guys. Uh, you know, I had some experiences that less, you know, most people will never even know about, or, you know, can't even imagine. So, right. um, you know, I'm very thankful for that. Um, and who that's made me, but, um, but yeah, that's, I guess that would be the advice that I give. Get into finances sooner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I, uh, I, when I was younger, I liked math and then I started just hating math for whatever reason. But then when you started putting a dollar sign in front of it, I started liking it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're going to go uh, segue into the next segment um, of the podcast. And that's, uh, we call it the final three where we'll ask uh, the last three questions that we ask all our, our all our guests. Um, so the number one question is, um, most recent book you've read and one thing you've learned from it. So, man, I don't remember the exact name, but it was a real estate investing book. It was by Aaron. I don't even remember his last name now that you got me on the spot, but it was over kind of a different method to the Burr method. And I'm sure everyone's heard about the Burr method and everything like that. And it's super easy and you can make millions. Well, he had a little bit different take on it of, you know, evaluating 
the the risk portion of it. So, you know, some of the things that I've learned that, you know, I kind of shared earlier came from that book. Okay. You don't ha- always have to make that big return, right? It's it's all about looking at a long term. So that was one of the the most recent books that I've read and that I learned from. I do, you know, it's not really reading a book, but I I am up on the MLS a lot. You know, I I, I like to see what's happening in the market because I am involved in the, you know, those transactions. So I want to be able to give feedback to the customer, mm. give feedback to that realtor. Goes back um, to add more and, value. You know, as far as, yeah, adding more value. Hey, you know, because they might know what it is from a market valuation standpoint, but okay, well, what will this appraise for? What are we looking at, you know, on that? So I like to know what's happening in the, in the local market. That way I can advise, you know, and consult clients and, and, and you know, with other business professionals as well. It seems like uh, going back to buy, you know, the small and simple things that lead to success. I think from talking with you, I found three, three principles that it seems like you live your life by that has helped you to achieve the success you've had outwork the other people, right. You know, outwork, be competitive, laser, laser focus. Mm -hmm. And then um, the, the third one is um, at add value. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's, that's awesome, which I mean, hopefully I didn't steal your thunder. That's actually going into my second, my second question is, is uh, what's one principle you strive to live your life by? It goes back to the hard work. If I had to put one number one, it's hard work. You can have the, you know, the laser light focus and stay on task or however you want it. And you can add value. But if you're, if you're not outworking someone, someone else is, someone else is going to beat you. And like Mm. like I said, I'm competitive. I want to win. So I'm going to outwork whoever I can. That's awesome. I love it. I knew I liked you. <laughs> uh, last question. What is one of the greatest pieces of advice is, um, pieces of advice you've been given? So probably the best piece of professional advice. I've had some great religious advice. I've had some great marriage advice. Um, but since we're kind of on the, the business topic, um, the best piece of business advice that I've been given is look out for yourself. And this is only in business, right? Um, you know, if if, it's, if this is marriage advice, don't take that. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's not that's not good advice. But I had a great leader in the in the military um, that told me, "Hey, in your professional career, make sure you're looking out for yourself CYA. because you're the only one that knows what's best for you." And that's not 100% correct. That's just how he put it. Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't know what's best for you, but you do you are the only person that can really look out for yourself because someone is always motivated, has other motivations, right? For advice they're giving you, not always, but you have to be careful with who's looking out for you, right? Mm -hmm. So be able to learn how to assess something, how to analyze, whether it's a new job or a new investment opportunity, right? Be able to know. And I think we, we, a lot of our phone calls are like, well, how do you get to that number, right? How do you get to, how do you get to that number? So I explained it to you, right? And I said, hey, here's how you do the math on it. Now you can do it yourself, right? Now, I mean, I I love talking to you late at night, but you know, now (laughs) now you can look at something and you can say, that's a good deal, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, look out for yourself, right? And, and make the decision that's best for you. Because I've had, you know, I've had boss, oh, you should take this job, right? It'd be, it'd be good for you in this, you know, development. Was it? Maybe, maybe not. So that was probably one of the best pieces of advice is make sure you look out for yourself in the business world because nobody else is going to be doing that as good as you are. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean, you know, shut yourself off from advice or anything like that, but evaluate, assess, you know, of what is being presented to you. What do these numbers make sense? Does this job make sense? Does this opportunity make sense? So that, that would probably be, you know, the best 
business piece of advice that I've ever, ever gotten. Awesome. So Andrew, where can people find out more about you? Um, well, you can, if you want a mortgage, you can go to www.sgnloans.com. Um, I'm not super active on social media. I know a lot of people think that networking is all social media. It's not. Um, so, you know, you can swing by my office and say, hi, uh, we're located on sunshine and Jefferson, uh, right in the middle of Springfield. Um, you know, just pop in, you can, you can, you know, if you want to talk about mortgages or insurance or whatever it might be, I'm, I'm, I try to make myself available as much as possible. Perfect. And we'll put those links in the description. So if anybody wants to check you out, they can, uh, thanks, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. This was awesome. I appreciate it, Jake. All right. We'll talk to you All soon. Right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.